<laughs> oh. um, <laughs> is someone in the car? <laughs> hey, sorry. <laughs> Can you me? Yep. Yes. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash javascriptjabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Corey House. Hi, everybody. Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, John Papa. John, do you want to say hi? Hey, everyone. Yeah, how's it going? Now, you've been a regular on Adventures in Angular for a long time, but I'm not sure how people on this podcast are familiar with you. Do you want to just give a brief introduction, let people know who you are and why you're world famous? (laughs) Uh, sure. So my name is John Papa and I've been doing web programming for over 20 years. I've been speaking, writing books, uh, doing videos, plural site, all the fun stuff out there. And I've done angular and view and, uh, things in the old days too, like, uh, .NET and other technologies. Awesome. And you're, you're, uh, an evangelist for Azure, if I remember at Microsoft. I'm a developer advocate for Microsoft Azure, doing Node and JavaScript and everything JavaScripty. And I used to work for Walt Disney, building web apps. Yeah, we used to not talk about that on Adventures in Angular. So. Yes, he who should not be named. <laughs> yeah, the Voldemort reference yes. for Disney. I love it. Yeah, um, and just to be clear, right? When you're when I'm working for a company, I generally don't like to talk about what I'm doing for the company, so that's why. Uh, but I loved my time at Disney. Disney was awesome. Yeah. That makes sense. But as a developer advocate for Microsoft, you kind of represent. Yeah, it's kind of the point of working for yeah. him as an advocate to talk about it. So yeah. that's what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, um, we I ran across these articles that you wrote uh, a look at Angular alongside Vue. And I, I really enjoy just kind of skimming through it and looking at the code. Um, and uh, so I was like, well, hey, we should have John on. And since you're on one of the other shows. It was pretty easy to make that connection and, and bring you on. Um, so uh, I, I think Amy had a direction she wanted to start with. So we'll let her kind of kick this off and we'll move uh, from there. Yeah, I just know we probably have a lot of people um, who, you know, they understand a little bit of like, you know, the move from Angular 1 or Angular JS to Angular slash Angular 2, whatever you want to, whatever people want to call it. Um, but if you can kind of go over for those people who have been in React land for a long time, kind of what is, you know, where Angular stands today, like Angular 5 and, and what's in that versus what people who haven't looked at it for a while may be thinking. 
Sure. Uh, the concepts in, they just call it Angular now. It's kind of, the joke is it's just Angular. Yep. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the idea behind the new version of Angular is, it's kind of funny. Uh, we have, what I feel in this technology industry, uh, a very schizophrenic personality. There's times that we complain as, as a group about things are moving too fast. And then when things move fast, we, you know, we want them to slow down. And then when they're going too slow, we complain that something else is, you know, way better than something else because it's faster. And it's kind of ridiculous if you think about it. But we've all done this to some degree uh, at some point. And I feel like this is uh, Angular is a great example of that. AngularJS for a couple of years when I was trying to get companies uh, working with this back when Backbone was the thing. Uh, so we're going back five, six years probably. Uh, people were telling me, well, AngularJS, you know, it's it's not been around too long and it hasn't done so well or whatever and it's going to change JavaScript flavor of the week. Uh, and then the funny thing is, you look at it, it's been around since 2011. I mean, how many JavaScript frameworks can you say have been around for that long? I mean, jQuery is the king, right? Uh, for existing that long. But AngularJS existed way back when we were, what, four, five, six browser versions old. And we didn't have Reacts and Views and other things either. So they were relying on the old style JavaScript DOM that was in the browsers and a lot of older concepts. So they had to do a lot of, ha uh, I'll call them hacks, they wouldn't, you know, workarounds to get around things in the browsers. Now, you fast forward a couple of years, about two years ago, uh, to when Angular version 2 came out. And you start looking at, you know, React really pushed the envelope quite a bit. Uh, Vue was just coming out. We had a lot of really cool new things happening. And Angular team really had a choice. They had a choice to either stick with what they've had for the last five years, which wasn't taking advantage of the modern browser, or they could say, you know what, let's take these same concepts and rework it to work with all the new modern techniques uh, and also borrow from things that Ember and React and things like Vue were going to be using. And that's really what they did is they re-architected it from, from scratch, uh, kept the same concepts for the most part, and started building in a lot of features that uh, allowed them to make it faster, more performance, uh, work better on mobile, uh, and just take advantage of a lot of things like code splitting and tree shaking that a lot of the other technologies take advantage of. So really, Angular, I like to think of it as a, a newer version of AngularJS. It really is a newer framework, just like React and uh, Vue. One of the Does that make sense to you? One other thing I would add is just yep. the developer experience. They removed a ton of the boilerplate and other things that, you know, made it a little less fun to work in. And, and Angular JS or Angular, sorry, not Angular JS. And when we're making the distinction, we do this on Adventures in Angular all the time. Angular JS is Angular 1.x and Angular is Angular 2 plus. Um, but yep. it, it's it's a much, much more, in my opinion, um, just neat experience to work in. It it, it gets cleaner code and it's it's a lot nicer to write. I guess what kind of like what I that that is really good and kind of what I was hoping to get into before we go too much further um, are just like some of the newer features in Angular 2 or, or Angular. I should really start calling it Angular, <laughs> but people people still call it Angular 2. So, yeah, they do. They do. Call it. But um, can you get into like just some of the different features, especially like where we stand now? Like what are some new features in Angular 5? Well, one of the things that's really neat, and these are things that React and Vue have as well, and to me, honestly, the number one thing all three of them do is they provide you with a CLI. Uh, to me, the CLIs for all three of these tools are what really help people get on board fast and, more importantly, do their build processes faster because building JavaScript has gotten harder and harder over the last couple of years. 
So one of the newest things in there is the constant evolution of the CLI with Angular, which to me is the number one reason uh, I've stuck with it because modern JavaScript is hard no matter what framework you use, unless you're using tools that help you do these kind of build processes. Uh, and the Angular CLI takes all that burden off your shoulders. So pretty much you just need to know how to spell Webpack and that's it. You don't have to know anything about it or how it works. A lot of the stuff just happens out of the box. Other stuff you get with Angular, the new version, which is now up to version five something, uh, is you get every six months a new major Semver. So they've gone from two to four to five. Uh, they're going to come out with six in another three or four months. Uh, but one of the best features is they do not make major breaking changes at the major releases. The breaking changes that they publish, uh, so far in the two ones I've done, it's cost me five minutes to upgrade over 30 apps total. Not five minutes per app, but five minutes total. So even though they're making a uh, breaking change in some cases, the change is so minor or so under the covers that you're likely not going to run into it uh, or a rebuild will just cover it. But by allowing them, by doing this, they're saving themselves from running into another five to six years of being on the same platform and to rebuild again in five or six years, which is what happened with AngularJS. So the Semver is a big piece. Uh, you get advantage of all the tree shaking, the code splitting, um, all this stuff's in the other technologies too. The big difference between the three is some of the philosophies on how they actually build and how you actually write the code. Uh, with Angular, they rely on dependency injection quite a bit. Uh, its roots come from the Java world. That's where Mishko Hevery created it. So it's got dependency injection to help build things. Uh, there's a view and a template sep uh, separation that you have where you put your HTML on one file and your uh, JavaScript or TypeScript in another file, but you don't have to do that. You can do a single file component just like you do with Vue or similar to how you do it with React. Uh, so there's a lot of things that you can borrow between the three, but there's nothing I would say that's dramatically unique between them. So if there's nothing dramatically unique between them, you know, and you did a comparison with Vue as well, w with a lot of these systems, then then why is there all this anxiety over, oh, well, you know, React is so much better than Angular, so much better than Vue, so much better than whatever. There's a lot of reasons for that, right? I mean, you think about anything in life, people don't ever want to be left behind on anything. And I think we all, even though we're all smart, intelligent people, and we realize that there's room for all of these in the workplace even, nobody wants to be on last year's technology as a developer. Companies most of the time don't care. And guess what? The end users, they could care less what technology you wrote their web app with. You know, when you go to Amazon or to Disney's website or any of these, do you really care if it was written in React or Angular as an end user? It really doesn't matter. So I think a lot of this anxiety is just, uh, it's a self-fulfilled self, um, prophecy. It's, it's not that important overall. Well, and I'm a, I'm a heavy consumer of several SaaS apps. I don't know what they're written in. And, and I do this. <laughs> you know, I do this and talk about this all the time. And, it, you know, yeah, as long as it solves my problem, I don't have to care. I think you just want to be on one of the leading ones, honestly. Because uh, yeah. you, you want to you be marketable, right? As a developer, you want to be marketable in the industry. So you want to do work that keeps your skills up to date. Uh, believe it or not, Backbone is still heavily used in a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't recommend it. Like if you're learning something from scratch now, I wouldn't recommend going that direction. I'd, I'd look at React, Vue, or Angular. 
But there's plenty of work out there for some of these other technologies. Even jQuery is massively still used at a lot of companies. So it's not like you're going to fall out of work with any of these. So then what's the next step? What's your team using? That's a good way to look at it. Uh, what's your preference for coding styles and practices? Some people, when they do React, it just speaks to them. That's the way they like to do it. Some people, when they do Angular, it speaks to them better. And others like Vue. So really, it gets down to a lot of its personal preference. I think the big key is just agreeing on something with your team and your company. You know, making sure you're doing something relatively consistent so you can do as much code reuse. And, you know, the longer you use any of these, the more you learn about how to build some of these apps. So I do have a question here, um, whether this is fact or not, I'd like to like ask the question and get your take on it because it's a very popular, uh, opinion that I hear from people is, you know, still, I feel like, um, if people just want to sprinkle in some things here and there, they're still of the opinion that Angular is overboard for that because people have um, the thought that if they go to Angular, then they have to also adopt everything else that comes along with Angular. Whereas, you know, with Vue, um, people feel a little bit better about just like sprinkling that in or even with React, especially with Vue, though. I feel like that is like one of Vue's like selling points. Yeah, I, I've I've done that experiment, actually. And this is something I recommend to a lot of people. Try each one of them for a day doing exactly what Amy just said. Try to sprinkle just a little bit of each of these and do an existing app that doesn't use any of these frameworks, like uh, ASP.NET or a, or a PHP or a Ruby site. Uh, and when you do that, I believe today Vue is the easiest one to do that with. If you just want a little bit of functionality in there and you want to rip it out quick, uh, Vue is very easy to do that with because you don't have, there's less concepts to learn to get on the, um, to get it moving. Uh, however, with Angular, they've addressed this specifically with a new feature they have, which came out, I think in October, it's called Angular Elements. And Angular Elements, the, the idea is, look, you can build just this one piece of an app and then use it like a web component in any other app you want, which basically isolates all the Angular code from whatever it's running inside of. Uh, so that's one of the cool things about um, about Angular is they're constantly thinking about how can we make those kind of things easier. Uh, but today, yeah, I think Vue is probably the easiest to do that with. Uh, Angular Elements is how you do it with Angular. And with React, I think it's kind of in between. It's a little more involved than Vue to do it, but less so than Angular yeah. until Elements comes out. Yeah, so that's really like the kind of what we've experienced at work. Like I was saying before we started the call, so um, we still have a lot of Angular JS, and so in order for us to try to move to something more modern, and you know, we don't have the luxury as most people probably don't, of just like starting to build something from scratch or timing out features to do this. So we've just started sprinkling in Vue into our Angular JS application, and it's gone really smoothly. And I'll post a link in here to some information about Angular Elements that the Angular team put out, too. So one thing that I'm hearing here, though, because we talked about, OK, well, you know, if you're learning a framework, just learn one of the, you know, the big modern ones and you're probably OK. But then from Amy's question, I'm getting there are actually differences that matter, um, you know, because, John, you basically pointed out, yeah, you know, this is easier with Vue than it necessarily, you know, could be with. Uh, with Angular. So it, it, are there are there breakpoints or decision points uh, beyond, hey, try it out and see how it works? 
that, you know, oh, this, this one is definitely better under these circumstances, or is it still just down to that personal preference and seeing how it works with your use case? Well, I think to answer that question, you'd have to ask yourself a question back. Uh, at the place that you work, I'm assuming this is what it's for, is for work. Mm-hmm. Do you want to make a decision based upon each project? Some, comp- some places they'll do is, you know, for every new app, they'll decide whether it's going to be Vue, Angular, React, or whatever. Or do you want to try to pick something that's going to solve it for all of your company's needs? Uh, if you're going the route of just picking it per project, I think you got to make that decision each time. And the more you know about all three of them, at least about the, the concepts and at least having a working, you're not going to be an expert at all three, but at least having a working knowledge of them, that will help you make that decision. Uh, where it, if you want to reuse a lot of code and kind of go around uh, to different apps and, and take advantage of the things that you've learned and how you're doing your build systems and your CI and your, uh, all your different components, I think picking one and sticking with it for a while has a lot of advantages. And your business leaders will like that too. Um, a lot of business leaders get scared when they hear, oh my gosh, we're switching the technology again. Well, that makes sense. That's all. That's a long-winded answer for it depends, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I did consulting for many a year, so I, I'm good with yeah. it depends. It does. And I think it's important to think about it. It really is. And I think sometimes people people get ranted on because they're like, you know, well, should we use React or Angular Review in the new project? Let's sit down and talk about it. And then sometimes when I've done this, teams are like, well, why would you want to talk about that? We already know this one or that one. Well, let's make sure it's the right fit first. It really isn't hard to do proof of concept on each one of these for like a day. So that's generally what I tell teams is when you're when you're really thinking and you're at a good point to switch and look at them, it's a good idea to at least try the same app in all three. Yeah, but in one day, can you build an app that's sufficiently complex to actually let you know where the edges are on that technology? Not complex, but you can build an app to give you a very good sense of what it's going to be like building this thing. To me, the hardest parts of building any of these is if you have to build a large app, and I mean a really big app. Some people will say large apps are 20 screens. I'm talking even bigger. If you've got to build a massively large app and you need code splitting and tree shaking and mobile performance on the web app is important, those kind of questions you really need to invest in figuring out what's it going to be like to deploy this thing and build it. Because uh, writing the code is the easy part in all three of them. The hard part is how do you not make it really slow? Right. Right. And, you know, there's also a lot to be said for the fact that it doesn't really matter which technology you choose. There's a lot of complexity with getting everything right. So either you choose one technology just because it's the only thing that you know, right? Or you choose another technology, but like your point about can you build a sufficiently complex app? No, but really what you actually have to do, the only way to really know is to build the whole app. Yeah, and that's, that's the only true. way we yep. know that that was you know how it's going to go, and nobody's going to build the whole app, you know, a couple hundred thousand lines of code in two different frameworks. So in some cases, you are taking a leap based on a small number of data points. Of well, this is what I want to do, and these are the reasons why I want to do it, and they it may work out for me. It may be less effective, but in the end, you can get any app built in any of these you know modern frameworks for sure. Yeah. And the question that I don't get as often, but I love when I get it, is not, you know, which one is best, but why do you, John, pick Angular as your main uh, framework? And honestly, the biggest reason that I pick it as my big framework is a lot of the apps I've built are really, really big, like massively large apps. 
and both in AngularJS and in modern Angular. And both of them have proven to work at large scale and been able to load sites that have, you know, hundreds of pages, uh, get millions of users and have to be load with, you know, within a a second and a half. And both of them have been able to do it. So I have trust and experience that AngularJS and Angular, while people say it's big and it's slow and it's heavy, there are certainly ways to make it big and slow and heavy, but there are absolutely ways you can make it fast. So that doesn't concern me. Uh, in that case, React and Vue, I've heard the same things from. You can do the same thing with them. I haven't built massive scale apps with those, but uh, the argument that you, if you use Angular, it's going to be big and slow and heavy is completely false, and I can disprove that any day of the week. So we've we've spent about half of the time that we usually schedule for the episode talking about just in general um, you know, differences or decision points, you know, in choosing a framework. Um, you you wrote these articles comparing Angular to Vue. And I'm curious, as, as you wrote through these, you know, we talked about how similar they are. Are they generally more similar than they are different, you know, between Vue and Angular? Or are we looking at, you know, some major differences in one or two areas? There's definitely a little of both. And let me explain to you the context of when I wrote these articles too, uh, Chuck. I decided, so I, on my team, I lead a developer advocate team, and I have experts on my team from Vue, React, and Angular, uh, and Node. Uh, for example, Sarah Drasner, who's a core contributor on the Vue team, is on my team. And then I've got folks who do React as well, like uh, Brian Holt, who's joining my team next week um, by the time the show airs. So You're we've had a lot all of the folks, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> we got some great people on our team, man. Yeah. Um, they're awesome. And what's great about the team that I'm on is it's given me a very interesting perspective on these three frameworks where we can have unbiased but opinionated uh, expert conversations about what's going on in the industry with these three. Uh, so I decided, look, I didn't know, I knew I knew a little bit about React. I've done some experiments with it and done some small apps, but I hadn't done anything with Vue when I wrote this article. I said, you know, I'm going to try to learn Vue. This was a Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to try to learn Vue and see what I can do. Uh, And then I could always fall back and talk to Sarah after I write it to make sure I didn't screw anything up. (laughs) And that's what I did. So I wrote this saying, I'm going to write the same app in Angular, and then I'm going to write the same app in Vue. And it's a small app. Uh, First thing I noticed is that the file structure was relatively the same. Uh, I found the CLIs to be relatively uh, similar. There's different questions they ask you, but uh, they're very similar to get going. The learning materials for both, I felt like both of them had really good docs. I love the Angular docs. It helps write some of them. Uh, the Vue docs are also quite amazing. I think they've done a great job there. And I start there because a lot of times you're learning something, if the docs suck, you're going to get disinterested and frustrated quick. Uh, so kudos to the Vue team for getting those up and running. The places it started getting interesting is once I started writing these, the first thing that happened is I got beat up on Twitter for, oh my gosh, you're dropping Angular. Why are you looking at Vue? <laughs> Uh, which is just like oh my gosh come on people framework trader Uh, oh my gosh yeah so i wrote in there you know look my intention here was to just make sure that i'm giving a simple comparison i wasn't trying to say this one's better than the other or vice versa um and what i did there is i kind of just walked through the first two or three there how you got started and then number three was where it got interesting for me in the posts, and I'll put all the links in there for you. I started showing the code side by side, and if you start looking, so in this post number three, I showed literally the code side by side of the Vue template and the Angular template. 
And you start looking at it. First of all, the amount of code you're writing is about the same for both of them. There literally is like within a line of code on each of these screenshots. Uh, the one place it was very different that I noticed right away was in Angular, they have this file called an, an app module. It's mm -hmm. declared as an ng module for Angular module. And what it really is, it's a non-visual file. There's no component or something that's loading. It's really a manifest of all of the components and services that you use inside your app. And we have components and services in all these apps. They call them different names, but that's what they are. There's either components which show up visually on your screen or services which run code like go make a HTTP call. And in Angular, you declare them all in this ng module. They do that in upfront in advance for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons they put it in there is to make it easy to know where everything's being loaded. Uh, it also makes it easier to do code splitting and tree shaking so that you can actually, Angular can figure out where to split your code up with your app by looking at the module so it knows all of its dependencies that are going to be in there. There's more to it than that, but that's where it happens in Angular. Vue does not have this file. But Vue does need to let itself, the framework, know which components you're loading. So we didn't lose that with Vue, but instead what Vue does is if you've got a hero's component and like a villain's component, in Vue, you declare those wherever they're actually being used. Where in Angular, you declare them up at the root of the module. So you do have an extra file in Angular to do this. Vue just does it a different way. And I found that fascinating because, interestingly, when Angular first started, Angular version 2, Joe, you may remember, that's the way uh, Angular did it. And then they said, you know what? This is going to be really hard for code splitting. Uh, and they said, we're going to go and introduce ng-modules. Um, and we all complained about it at the time, but then <laughs> when we see the benefits of the code splitting, we're like, oh my gosh, the code splitting is amazing with this thing. So that was the first big difference I saw. And if you look at the rest of the code, and I'm just scrolling through the, the post I wrote, um, there's really more similarities than differences. In fact, halfway through this article in post three, you'll see like in Angular, you do a click binding. Guess what you do in Vue? Click. And in, in Angular, you put parentheses around it, and in Vue, you use the at sign. In Angular, you've got an ng-if. In Vue, you've got a v-if. In Angular, you've got an ng-model. In Vue, you've got a v-model. So these things were actually, once I figured out how to map these, the concepts that were in Angular were in Vue and vice versa. I really didn't see a whole lot of, uh, oh my gosh, I have to relearn how I do things. Right. Yes, so not that we're comparing all the frameworks, but if you're uh, a big proponent of, hey, I... I know that one of the things that React likes to uh, tout is that they're all, you're only learning JavaScript. So that's still true, right? React is still the one that is just JavaScript. Vue has its own DSL similar to Angular. Yes. Um, and again, yeah, I'm, not a, I'm not in the boat there. that one is superior to the other. I think that there's value and reasons why some people might like the DSL. Because it can it can definitely simplify things, but um, yeah, React is definitely is just JavaScript. And for new people, a DSL is a domain specific language, and essentially what it is, what Joe is talking about is that it adds features to the the language beyond just basic JavaScript. You're having like to learn. Oh, I'd say so. You're having to learn like Angular. You're having to learn Vue, whereas with React. People like to think like you're you're not learning so much React as you are JavaScript. Yeah, right. So Which, yeah, I could argue with, but <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah, would be good. <laughs> yes. 
so one thing I wanted to just comment really quickly on too, as somebody who's been digging into Vue more and more, um, because we, you know, said we, we point out some really good things about Vue, like sprinkling it in here and there. But one thing like I think people should probably be aware of is as you get deeper into Vue, um, although the documentation on Vue itself is really good when you're trying to integrate like third party libraries and stuff like that, um, the community like um, in China is really big for Vue. So a lot of the documentation has not been translated to English for, you know, like I said, as you go deeper. So that's just something to keep in mind. I did not know that. Ah, well, that's just for like third party libraries and stuff like that, not the actual view documentation itself. Yeah. And to be honest, I, when I got and I put this in the article, when I went through the docs on view, there were places that I wasn't understanding exactly what to do. So here's the interesting part. Most of the articles read about view say, and I just read one before I got on here just to kind of look what people are saying recently saying basically the cool thing about Vue is it's a less opinionated framework, whereas Angular is an opinionated framework. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, back when AngularJS was out, one of the biggest complaints about AngularJS, I'm talking for like five years ago, was that it was not opinionated. There were literally like 10 different ways you could create a controller uh, back in AngularJS. And everybody wanted to have a little more consistency. You know, it's great that you can have 10 ways to do it, but tell me the way that's not going to make me run into a brick wall someday, you know? Um, which is one of the reasons I wrote the Angular style guide way back when. It wasn't saying that this is the only way. I was just telling people this is the way I do it and it works. Um, so it's kind of interesting that, you know, we, we look at frameworks and we keep going back and forth on opinionated versus less opinionated. I think there's a happy medium in there, honestly. Uh, it's nice to have 100 ways to do something, but it's also nice sometimes to know what's what's the recommended way. And I think that's one interesting when I was playing around based on your articles, John. It's an interesting part about Vue and its CLI, right, versus the Angular CLI. You could already see the difference in opinion. In Angular, in the CLI, if I, knew up, if I create a new project, it doesn't ask me a single question. It goes with all of its defaults. I can add in a whole bunch of options, but it has its yep. defaults. With Vue, the CLI, there is like five questions or eight you have to answer. Yeah, I didn't know the answer to some of them, to be honest. And even in the CLI, yeah, there's, a, there's a CLI, I'm forgetting the names of them. When you run the view CLI, there's like a Webpack, a Webpack simple, and there's a basic simple one. Yeah, you have to I'm choose like, okay. the template, right? You choose, you, and name, I you not only name the project, you got to choose the templates based on. So yeah, it's a, it's a good point that it's like, hey, I like the options, right? But on the other hand, when I don't know which one's better, then I don't want to be asked because now I have analysis. Oh, I don't know. What do I do? And I go check a whole bunch of documentation to figure out which one is better. So there's, it's definitely easy, good to see both sides of that line of the, it's nice to have the opinions in certain times, in certain cases, and sometimes it's nice to not. If I'm an expert, I definitely want to be able to pick which one I want to use. Yeah, and the first thing I did was I ran the Vue CLI's simple uh, plan. I forget the name of it. I think it's the simple one. It's effectively just you use Vue off a of CDN and there's no webpack or build system at all. Um, it's a file, you drop a script tag in, and that's cool. I mean, as far as getting up and running, there's no easier way to get up and running than just drop a script tag in the page and go. Um, that's not the way I want to roll when I build because I want, you know, I don't want to be running off of other websites and I want to just include the code that I'm actually using. But that was neat. And then the second one, I was like, should I use Webpack Simple or regular Webpack? And when I did the regular Webpack CLI, it generated just as many files as the React and the Angular CLIs did. You know, there were some people are saying it's easy. I was like, okay, I just got dropped 30 files in my project. What am I supposed to do with this? And then I backed off and I went to the Webpack Simple, which basically removed about half those files. I'm like, let me start here. 
see how it works. I wanted Webpacks. I wanted to see how the build work and the dev tools and all that. Um, and that's kind of where I went from. And I talked to Sarah Drasmer quite a bit about it. And I think, not trying to speak for her, but I think after we discussed it a little more, she thought about it because she teaches Vue classes a lot. I think she now is leaning more towards when she teaches Vue to start with the Webpack regular one because it gives you just a little bit more. It's more files, yes, but it, it's more of where you want to end up. You know, you don't want to start with the CLI and then realize you're missing things. So I think that's the one that she recommends these days. And that's kind of what I've been doing lately, too. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. I wanted to talk a little about uh, Vue and TypeScript, if you all don't mind, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I read that, I read that article and I thought that was really interesting. Uh, you figured out how to get TypeScript working with Vue, which is very cool. Um, I thought I'd be interesting to hear about that. Yeah, and it actually found a bug. <laughs> in my app. So I wrote the app in JavaScript, which is cool. You basically just write an object literal with view and you create things called props and data and you get your methods and all that's just an object literal. And they use something called an SFC, which is a single file component, which you don't have to do, but it's kind of cool. You basically got your template over the top. It's a dot view extension file. And then down below you've got your JavaScript. Uh, and I was going through that and did it and got my app working and Sarah and I looked at it and it worked. And I said, you know, I'm going to try to get TypeScript working because that's, I enjoy that. And I wanted to really compare it, not just JavaScript to Angular, but also the TypeScript version. And the first thing I noticed when I switched over to TypeScript, it surfaced a bug or two because it alerted me I had type mismatches when I was calling my method to go get my data from the uh, HTTP server. Uh, and in JavaScript, it didn't find anything because, you know, JavaScript doesn't care about that stuff. So at first I thought that was a real, that's an amazing first real bug. I'm like, that's really cool. TypeScript value just came through there. And I put this in the post version four that I put up there. Um, but the second thing I noticed is when you started turning it into TypeScript, it starts looking a lot more like Angular, honestly. And you go back and you look at the code that I put in there. I did a lot of screenshots of it. First of all, I found the code easier to read in TypeScript than I did in JavaScript because it separated things out more. Instead of having an object literal, I had a class which separated out the functions and methods. And one of the common things, and maybe it's because I was a beginner, that I was doing in Vue a lot with the JavaScript, is you've got a data property in the object literal, you've got a methods property, you've got a bunch of other properties. Sometimes, and you got events. Sometimes I was putting the functions one level deeper than I should in the object literal, because some of them are nested. And that was screwing me up. And because it's just JavaScript, it compiles and works. 
but it doesn't actually run right. Whereas in TypeScript, instead of putting them at certain levels, you just use a decorator to say, this one's going to emit. That's like an output. Or this one's going to have a watch. Or this one is for props. You basically use all these decorators inside of you with TypeScript. And the decorator is what tells you if the property or the function or the method is a uh, is going to emit something or watch it or be properties or be a component. And to me, I found that a lot easier to read. So do you think any of that has to do with your familiarity with TypeScript that you've got kind of an implicit bias towards TypeScript? The readability? No, I don't think so. Because um, as I said, when I was using the JavaScript, it, well, using the JavaScript, <laughs> when I was using JavaScript, it was, I, I kept on screwing up where I had methods, for example. Like if you just want to have a function inside of view, you've got to put those functions inside of a object literal property called methods. But then the events go one level back. And I'm not used to doing that. I'm used to just creating events and everything at the same level, even in AngularJS. Uh, so I was getting confused there. With TypeScript, it was very clear. And it had nothing to do with my TypeScript experience on it. Um, if we could there actually have some ideas on JavaScript and how it could become clearer, <laughs> some ideas that I want to toss around to somebody who's got more view experience than I do to see if it would work. But that's where I think the value really came in is the readability of the code got a little bit better. Interesting. So it wasn't uh, just about the fact of type checking. No, I mean, the type checking found some bugs for me, as I said, which is cool. But uh, when I started it, I wasn't sure if I was going to continue with TypeScript or not. Uh, but the more I used it, I'm like, you know what? I, this has actually got some value here. I find it easier to read. And you can look for yourself. I'll put the link up here to the same app I did in uh, JavaScript versus TypeScript with Vue. So I think it also is pretty interesting how we've seen the typed languages are kind of exploding flow. TypeScript now, uh, I, I don't know if this exactly qualifies, but Reason ML, uh, these are kind of making a lot of progress in the front end world. Yes, they are. So if you do get a chance to take a look at these two repos that are up there in Vue, one's TypeScript and one's JavaScript, uh, there's some different branches. You can actually do a pull request and compare them. That's what I usually do. Uh, look at the code and just see which one you like better. It's not like the Vue team is telling you you have to use one versus the other. Uh, you can pick whatever you want. And there's uh, the TypeScript teams, which I work with, and the VS Code teams are working really hard on making sure Vue is a first-class citizen of VS Code. Uh, and to that extent, there is a must-have extension that you must get if you're going to use Vue inside of VS Code. And I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it's spelled V-E-T-U-R, like Vitor. Um, and also, Sarah, who works on my team, wrote an extension called Vue VS Code Snippets, which you could also get for VS Code. But the Vitor extension basically gives you language services when you're using inside of VS Code, so you get all the syntax highlighting and IntelliSense and stuff that you need. You know, just to back up just a tiny bit, Corey, are you uh, still here? Yep, still here. Hey, do you, have you used Flow or ReasonML much? Uh, I am very interested in ReasonML, but I have not gotten to use it. I've only read a lot about it, enough to know that it's on my shortlist this year. As far as Flow, yeah, I have used it. I've also used TypeScript. Um, but honestly, I've just, I keep coming back to playing JavaScript myself just for my own preferences. Um, I find I, it, it's like anything else. Um, there's, there's a cost and a, a benefit to these choices, and I just find I like the the dynamism that I get with JavaScript. Um, and I've found at least uh, in my work in React, uh, the other tools that we have around prop types, for instance, catch a lot of uh, type issues anyway. 
Um, so that's, I think that's part of why TypeScript is less popular in React than it is in, um, in Angular, for instance. Well, yeah, I mean, at least with the Angular 2 Plus world, it's kind of basically required. Uh, but how, how popular is Flow in the React world? Flow is not particularly popular. You're looking at probably uh, one in six projects or so. Um, I did a survey a while back. Uh, I actually, I don't have any good friends that are using Flow heavily. Um, I know a few people that, that really enjoy using TypeScript with React, and, and I can totally appreciate why. Um, it effectively comes down to you know personal preferences there. I can see a real benefit to using TypeScript for a lot of your utility code, um, but as far as React components themselves, uh, I've I've still stuck with uh, plain old JavaScript and just leveraging prop types. And do you uh, predict that Reason ML is going to become a big thing in the React world? Uh, yeah. Well, I I don't know. There, there's so much inertia right now with uh, plain JavaScript, um, and also the fact that now that we have releases every summer, uh, JavaScript's going to keep growing as well um, and, and maturing. So uh, I think if, if there's going to be a winner on that side, I think I, I think it's hard to predict that winner. The reason ML looks uh, like a pretty likely candidate to be a, a top contender simply because it's got Facebook behind it. This is one of the things that I find uh, jarring is how much uh, Facebook has sway over the development community now. I mean, we look at a lot of great ideas have come out of Facebook. I mean, obviously, I'm a big React fan, but you also look at things like GraphQL. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if, if a smaller company had come up with GraphQL, I don't think it would be where it is right now. Uh, and I think to some degree, uh, Reason ML is in that same boat that if a small company had done it, it probably would have never reached, reached uh, uh, our our eyes at all. We probably would have never even known about it uh, because there's just so much innovation going on out there. It feels like uh, only the, the big dogs can get cut through the noise enough to get people excited. Right. Uh, but but I, I don't want to say that and make it sound like it's it's not something impressive. Everything I've read about, yeah, I, I think Reason ML uh, is, is going to be a top contender. And I suppose that, that your opinion changes a lot as to whether or not the innovation you're talking about is something you really believe in, right? Or <laughs> if, if it's not and you're like, well, they just kind of used their popularity to push through something that just really wasn't that great of an idea. And I've certainly lived through a lot of uh, experiences like that. Yeah, no, I can see that point. So, John, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, how do you feel? Uh, what, what do you think 2018 has in store for Angular? Uh, a lot of good stuff, actually. We just had a discussion. I was talking with Brad Green from the Angular team, and they're planning out their priorities for 2018. 2017, a lot of their priorities were speed and performance. They have dramatically reduced the size of a built and deployed Angular um, version 5 app these days, which is great. And to me, the CLI was the biggest thing that really happened last year. So those two themselves are big for last year. This year, one of their biggest focuses is to make it simpler to use. So they're seeing a lot of the cool advantages of things like what Vue are doing to make things easier to drop in and run with, uh, which is why I think Angular Elements is going to be a big piece of that. Uh, but also just getting rid of even more boilerplate out of Angular would be nice. There's a couple things in there still I think that they can help with uh, to drop that down. Uh, I'll say this for 2018, although it was in there in 2017. All three of these have 
built-in functionality to work with PWAs, progressive web apps, using service workers. Uh, The CLIs for Vue, React, and Angular all let you do that. I think that's going to be a huge focus this year for all three of them again. Um, But to me, the big thing is uh, simplicity, which is kind of funny to think about it. Getting on board and running with any of these is really only a one-time thing for most people. Once you're on board and running, you stick with one of these because you enjoy it most of the time. So I think making the development experience better, better tooling, that's what I kind of look forward to this year. And now that uh, Safari is now working with, uh, or at least they're starting to work with um, Service Worker, hopefully they'll release that for iOS as well. That would blow the doors off the PWAs, in my opinion. Yeah, that that was wonderful news just to hear uh, progress is coming. Yes, because for a long time we heard nothing from Apple about this. And then suddenly they're like, hey, guess what? We've got uh, Service Worker support coming in Safari and on Mac OS, to be clear. Uh, but hopefully iOS isn't far behind. And so now that we have these three really mature JavaScript frameworks, uh, and we also have PWAs that are uh, obviously reaching broad support as well, but what's your take on native mobile? So I part of my job at my last company uh, at Disney was to work with mobile and with web. And I did a lot of research on over 35 different ways that you could build a mobile app. <laughs> Literally, uh, using native, using, you know, so you got your iOS with Swift or, or with Objective-C, you've got Android, you've got all your native stuff, plus you've got the in-betweens, right, uh, that are out there like apps, um, Titanium's Accelerator, and you've got Progress that's got their native script, and just so many different ways you can do a React Native. It really got down to me, to me for if you're going to build something that just needs pure speed on the animation side, which some of the apps that I built needed that, or you needed something just deeply integrated in the device, that's where I would go over to iOS native or Android native. That's where I would want to build two versions of the app, one for Android, one for iOS. Uh, But for most things I build these days, I actually defaulted back to just using a PWA type app or let me rephrase that because PWAs weren't fully supported. Building a web app with something like Ionic um, because you can build just a plain old web app that runs on native with web views using any of these technologies. And right. so many of the features are accessible right now. I don't go to native on mobile until I see that I've got a problem or it's something that could be suspect if I use native web. Does that make sense, Corey? That makes complete sense. And that was the answer I was thinking that you'd give. I, I'm obviously not a, a mobile specialist. I've spent my career focused more on the uh, traditional web. But I, what I don't have a sense of is when we turned that corner, um, because I, I don't have a sense of whether you, what you said there is particularly controversial anymore. The impression that I get from conversations at conferences with, with friends is that for a while now, we've had sufficient maturity in the JavaScript space that it really the justification for going native mobile is I effectively I have to and I have to either for performance reasons or for uh, API reasons. Um, is yeah. this a relatively recent occurrence or in some ways, I mean, Ionic isn't particularly new. That's that's been around for what? Uh, at least a couple of years, right? Yeah, I think Joe would know better because I think they kind of had their coming out party at NGConf (laughs) three or four years ago. Yeah. Okay. I don't think it's, I think it's been slowly evolving, Corey, because you're right. Four years ago, 
uh, and I'm just picking a date and time here, when I was having these conversations, which I have, it seems like every three months with somebody wanting to build a mobile app, it was very clear that native was the way to go, in my opinion, because there was very few things you could do in the web that were as good as native. But now there's so many things you can do with native web and the speed's gotten better. The security's gotten better, which don't forget that when you're doing JavaScript mm -hmm. on a mobile app. Uh, and also building a mobile app that's really a mobile app with JavaScript. So this is a really important clear clarification. I've seen people build apps where they literally take a website and load it on a mobile phone. So the entire web app is loading every single time. That's not what you want to do on a mobile app. I mean, right. you want to well, cache what it, you can. If, you know? if it's performant enough, you can get away with it. But many, many apps aren't. Um, I, I think that, I think there's a level that you can reach that makes it so that it's a fairly seamless experience. But yeah, most apps aren't going to get there. Yeah, like I even see in places where they have a native app now and they just want to include a web functionality that's already been written. So a lot of companies already have a website, but they're building a mobile app. They're like, you know what? Uh, we want to add this one feature that's on our public website, just in this one page over to our mobile app. We could redo it in iOS and Android. Or what if we just use a web view and just like hooked into that? Mm -hmm. Would that be a good experience? In a lot of ways, that's actually a cheaper and better experience in some cases. So I think there's hybrid native and web that's very advantageous these days. It's a really exciting environment. I tell you, everybody's using mobile. Mobile is getting stronger. And I think mobile web is a great place to live. Nice. Well, we are definitely past our time, so I'm going to push us uh, toward picks. Um, is there an overarching theme, though, that you want to just kind of uh, call out before we wrap up, John, on a lot of this? Stuff? I think, yeah, to me, I, I think I've said this before in this uh, podcast, but I think it's really important that people, when you're thinking about which one should I use, Give each one of them a try and try to, it's really hard to put our own biases and opinions aside, but try each one of them. I've learned so much by looking at React and Vue because Angular was the first one I looked at just to see how things are done. And to me, I feel better informed and now I can actually decide which one I'd want to use somewhere. And I feel like we should do more of that because guess what? The React, Angular and Vue teams talk to each other and they're not sitting there fighting with each other either. So it's a good thing to do, just to look at how these things work, because they're all pushing each other forward. Completely agree. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Corey, do you want to start us off with picks? Absolutely. So uh, I have a pick that I'm very excited about. Uh, 
that is called cypress.io. Uh, I don't think we've had the Cypress team on the show yet, have we, Jeff? Uh, we did on Adventures in Angular. We should get them on here. Ah, there we go. Okay, so uh, for those that haven't heard, Cypress is this really slick tool for doing integration testing. And effectively, you say npm install Cypress, you fire the thing up, it opens up Chrome and uh, runs your tests, and your tests leverage jQuery selectors and Mocha and uh, Chai behind the scenes. So if you know what Mocha is, you know what jQuery is, you know how to write selectors, it is unbelievably low friction, and you can have your first test written in a few minutes. They have amazing documentation. I'm, I'm super impressed with this project, uh, really excited about it. I've already stood it up on a couple of my uh, side projects, and uh, I like what I see. So that is my pick. Give it a look. Awesome. Amy, do you have some picks? Sure. So over the holiday break, I read a book called Crucial Conversations that was recommended to me um, just from some people that uh, I see at a meetup all the time. So it was really, really good. Um, I find that this is something, you know, I, I don't have a terrible, terribly difficult time doing this. Um, it basically talks about, um, sorry, my cat is meowing like crazy right now. I don't know what his problem is. Um, but it just kind of talks about, well, like it says, crucial conversations, the right way to have a conversation, leaving your emotions out of things, um, having the right conversation, not putting things off. So just a lot of good practical advice in there. And then... My other pick, I've thought about doing this because I have like a bunch of different coins that I'm in, um, just kind of like playing around, investing in and researching and stuff like that. So I think for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to like share as my picks the different ones that I've been um, spending a little bit of money on. So other than like, you know, everybody knows Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, Litecoin, stuff like that. So but some of these others, I think not everybody has heard of. So one that um, like basically ones that they don't have on Coinbase yet. So the first one that's probably the most popular of the ones that I'm looking at is uh, Ripple or XRP. So when I bought it, it was like less than a dollar, but um, it's like hovering around 210 or something like that right now. So uh, that'll be my second pick. And those are it for me. Awesome. I'm looking forward to the how to get rich by Amy picks. <laughs> I, I, so I also give this advice, like people get really excited about this, but I think um, only spend what you're okay losing. So for me, it's just like, hey, you know, do I want to go out and have like a really nice dinner with my friends or, you know, buy something for my apartment or something like that? Well, instead of like going and spending money on that, I'll spend some of my like free play money. Or if you heard the episode on like my shopping habits, like spend a lot of money at the grocery store, um, I will opt for the cheaper options and spend my extra money on this. So it's not like I'm buying like tons and tons. I have no plans of like getting rich on this stuff. It's just kind of fun that I play with. So that's it for me awesome aka what amy spends her allowance on all right john <laughs> or joe <laughs> joe what are your picks all right uh so i'll pick um the, i want to pick the greatest showman movie we went and saw last week with family really fantastic movie very uplifting great show uh so i'm gonna pick the greatest showman and then there's a tv show that's on uh right now with William Shatner and Terry Bradshaw and uh, the Fawns, uh, Henry Winkler, and uh, I'm blanking on the fourth guy, but four of these like kind of older, but they were pretty popular guys in their time. 
And it's a show about, it's called Better Late Than Never. And it's these four really old, quite old guys going around the world and kind of having crazy sort of adventures. And it's a reality show, but it's actually pretty charming and cute. And they do, they eat funny food. And, you know, these guys all have pretty strong personalities. So the whole show ends up being pretty entertaining. So if you're looking for a very good TV show to watch, Better Late Than Never uh, is a great show. And uh, finally, I had I dug down to kind of get into view in preparation for this episode and played around with it for a while. And I really like what I see. I've heard some people call view the angular two that everybody was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's actually pretty true. It's it feels a lot more similar to angular JS than um, a lot of the modern frameworks like react and angular do in a lot of ways. But yet it's a really, you know, it feels still feels very modern. So I really liked what I saw and played around with. And I think it's well worth your time learning it, even if you're never going to be programming in it. Uh, it's nice to it's good to do things and see things from another standpoint. So I'll, and while I'm at it, I'll recommend one other book that in the same vein, I went through uh, a meetup for we worked through this uh, book called uh, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. I think it was. And it was, you learn to program in seven wildly different languages. And that was really entertaining and very uh, mind op eye opening. So those are my picks. Nice. Um, I'm going to throw out a few picks here. The first pick that I have is um, I, I read this book. I read it a long time ago, but um, my business coach made me read it again. And uh, anyway, I got depressed about a third of the way through because the it's the e-myth revisited and so he starts out talking about this is how people get started in their businesses and then these are all the problems that they put themselves through and of course you know so i'm sitting there going i just i just want to quit and then um you know you get through the rest of the book and it's like oh okay i think i know what to do now um so it's a terrific book e-myth revisited um i'm also in the middle of rereading profit first that's profit p-r-o-f-i-t profit um, and it, it talks about how to run a business and things like that. We talked about entrepreneurship a while back and, um, anyway, so I, I, I've kind of enjoyed that. Uh, last night my wife and I watched Dunkirk and it was, uh, I, I would give it three stars out of five. It was like the, no Chuck, it was awesome. The, the history, I, I love these history movies, but the continuity on it a couple of times, my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, wait when is this happening? Cause they kind of flash forward and flash backward <laughs> yep. and they don't really give you any signposts. So it's like, Oh, 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 that was, that was the night before this, or that was, the, you know, anyway, so, um, fascinating history. Um, I, 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 you know, but it lost two stars on the execution, I would say. Uh, sorry that you had to watch a movie that you had to pay attention to Chuck. Uh, -huh, uh, -huh, uh, -huh. uh -huh. shut up. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe uh the uh power rangers show would be more to your liking i'm not talking to you anymore joe john what are your picks uh so i've got two of them one is a movie i saw recently it's called jumanji and i saw the original many years ago with rob williams and it's okay but the one we saw here with uh with the rock and um, Jack Black and all so with my kids and my family this week just had us laughing the whole way through. So it's just a fun movie. If you're going looking for some kind of Grammy award winner or, or you know, or whatever they have Oscars, whatever they call them, 
Uh, no, it's not it. But it's just a fun, laughable, fun movie. So check that out. The other thing is more for work. Uh, something I like to do is try to figure out how can I change my own perspectives quite a lot when I'm looking at technology and working with people. And one of the big things I look at a lot is emotional intelligence. So there's a couple of good articles and books on this topic. Uh, I just posted a link to one of the articles on this. Emotional intelligence is basically, if you're not familiar with it, is the capacity to be aware or control your emotions, basically to handle how you can relate with other people uh, and be more empathetic. Uh, and Joe, I know you've done some sessions on empathy, developer empathy. So really emotional intelligence is the way we think about how we balance our IQ, our personality, and our emotional side so we can actually relate with people better. Uh, a great example of this is um, trying to be right all the time. Is being right the most important thing or is being effective the most important thing? So emotional intelligence lean more towards the effective side versus the being right side. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of good books in this. I'll post some links in there to it, but I think it's something everybody should, uh, in the developer industry especially, we should be more aware of uh, because we tend to, uh, especially online, have a lot of problems with communication. And I think emotional intelligence is a key aspect of that. Awesome. Now, John, uh, one other question that I tend to like to ask the guests is if people want to know what you're looking into or writing about or thinking about these days, uh, where are the best places to go? You probably tweet or, you know, have contributions on GitHub. I know you have a blog. Uh, do you want to kind of tell people where to go for that stuff? Yeah, the biggest place to go is Twitter, which I can put the link in here. It's um, John underscore Papa. Uh, about three times a day, I get some kind of a rant from somebody who doesn't like Papa John's pizza thinking I own the company. Uh, but no, <laughs> it's not me, especially after what happened the last couple of months in the news with that place. Um, second place is my GitHub page. And the thing I'm working on right now at github.com slash John Papa is that I've got a repo that me and Ward Bell, a good friend of mine, are working on, which will make using Redux pattern inside of Angular uh, remove about 95% of the boilerplate that you normally do. Uh, so we're really excited about this. It's not quite ready to be released, but the repo is up there and people are starting to look at it. So uh, super excited about it. It basically builds on top of NGRX, but it gets rid of the 10 million lines of code that you normally have to write with it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming, John. It, it's been really interesting to just look at this from the perspective both of um, you know, how we make decisions about what technologies we use, as well as a lot of times we cover one technology or another and we don't really talk through the comparisons. And so this has been interesting that way too. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up and we will catch everybody next week. Bye. Peace. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.